Good afternoon. It's 29 and cloudy at 1.30 in St. Johnsbury on this Thursday, February the 4th. I'm Bob Welch and welcome to my world. In headlines today, attorneys general from all but three states have hammered out a settlement with the consulting firm McKinsey and Company about their promotion of opiate prescription drugs. The settlement's worth millions. Small towns like Greensboro, Vermont, and short-term rentals like Airbnb and how to have the right balance. The Massachusetts Fire Marshal has a warning today about power strips after a faulty one is being blamed on a fatal fire in Worcester County. In the weather for northeast Vermont and northern New Hampshire, we have 29 and a mix of sun and clouds. A few passing clouds tonight, down to 12. Snow tomorrow morning will transition to snow showers during the afternoon, high 35. Snow showers early evening tomorrow with breaks in the overcast later on with a high of, with a low of 20 tomorrow night. Uh, partly cloudy skies for Saturday, high of 28. Sunday, cloudy skies with afternoon snow showers at a high near 30. Around the region at 131, sunny skies everywhere but Boston and Hartford. Boston and Hartford have 37. New York's Putnam County, Manhattan and Barnstable, Cape Cod all reporting 39. Montreal is 34 with Albany checking in with 37. Repeating our St. Johnsbury temperature, 29 with the sun going in and out, going down to 12 tonight. This is Bob's World. Connecticut Attorney General William Tong says the Nutmeg State helped lead a coalition of attorneys general in a $575 million settlement with McKinsey and Company. WTNH Television in New Haven reports attorneys general from 47 states, the District of Columbia, and five U.S. territories were involved in the coalition. It sets out to hold the consulting firm responsible for its work advising opioid companies on how to promote and profit from their drugs. McKinsey and Company says in a statement, We recognize that this work, while lawful, fell short of the high standards we set for ourselves and that we did not adequately acknowledge the epidemic unfolding in communities across the country. We decided nearly two years ago to end all work on opioid-specific business and have committed to being part of the solution to this serious challenge. Officials say Connecticut was part of a 10-state executive committee that negotiated the settlement, adding that this is the first multi-state settlement to result in substantial payments directly to the states to address and abate the opioid epidemic. It seems kind of like the tobacco settlements from 20 years ago. Connecticut will receive $7.5 million from the settlement. Tong says the money will be used to abate the opioid epidemic. An initial payment of $6.3 million will be made to the state of Connecticut, with the remainder of the payments being made out among a four-year period with similar uh, arrangements with the other states involved in the deal. In Greensboro, Vermont, not far from my field headquarters here in St. Johnsbury, Caspian Lake is a perfect expanse of pure white snow under a blue-streaked sky this time of year with only a couple of ice fishermen hauling their gear to their favorite spots. In the summer, however, it is a completely different picture altogether. Hill Farmstead is a brewery in nearby Greensboro Bend, which draws thousands of adoring fans in good weather. Jasper Hill Farm makes cave-age cheese in Greensboro Bend also, and has a similar loyal following. 
The summer people own expensive homes on Caspian Lake. Many of them rent their homes to others to help pay for what they see as exorbitant taxes. So they are concerned when the town starts making noise about changing the rules. It's a scenario, by the way, that plays out in many other towns in Vermont and other states as well. Linda Romans is a 20-year resident of Greensboro who serves on the Planning Commission, and she has quoted on the Burlington Free Press that Greensboro revises its town plan every five years and this year decided to take a look at short-term rentals. Nothing the town is considering, she says, would significantly increase costs for seasonal residents, but those seasonal residents aren't convinced. Romans, together with zoning administrator Brett N. Stanchu, summarized the changes under consideration as a one-time $60 fee to apply for a short-term rental, a requirement to post a form from the state of Vermont showing that safety, health, and financial obligations for short-term rentals have been met, and an assurance that the number of people to rent it uh, to rent uh, fits the capacity of the septic system attached to the rental. Peter Romans is chair of the select board, and he's Linda Romans' husband. He says the state requirements, which include items such as smoke and carbon monoxide alarms and handrails on stairs, have nothing to do with the town. The town is mostly interested in protecting the excellent water quality of Caspian Lake, a requirement for a minimum seven-day rental, which raised objections, has already been dropped to three days. This is Bob's World. The New York Daily News is reporting a New Jersey man was trying to free his sport utility vehicle from a snowbank. Then the vehicle caught fire, killing him. Police responding to a 911 call showed up to the loosened Sloat Creek Park parking lot in Little Ferry, New Jersey, around 9 yesterday morning to find the 62-year-old driver revving his engine repeatedly, rocking the car back and forth to get out of the snow. The cops tried to talk with the man, but he didn't really engage them. A tow truck was on the way, and the officers went to their vehicles to give the man space to back out. Little Ferry Police Chief James Walters adds that when they got back out of their cars, they heard a loud pop noise, and when they looked over, the car was smoking and starting on fire. Officers tried to save the driver, but flames engulfed the SUV in mere minutes. Fire officials in central Massachusetts are issuing a warning about the dangers of overloading power strips. That's after determining that one of the devices was to blame in a fatal fire in Blackstone, Worcester County, over the weekend. Saturday's fire killed 30-year-old Tegan Lafayette, who lived in an apartment on the second floor of a converted one-family home. The Massachusetts Fire Marshal's office said in a statement that the fire began with the power strip, which had clearly failed. It is unclear exactly how many appliances were plugged into the power strip, but the Boston Globe reports investigators found two space heaters, an Xbox game console, and other electrical appliances nearby. The body of a backcountry skier who was killed by an avalanche in New Hampshire was found by rescuers around 6 last night, buried under 13 feet of snow. New Hampshire Fish and Game says the missing skier, whose identity has not been released, was found in Amanusik Ravine, that's a half hour east of Littleton, New Hampshire.
The Boston Globe reports the skier was reported missing by his friends Tuesday night after failing to return home or answer repeated telephone calls. Initial reports indicated that the skier had planned to ski either Amanusik Ravine drainage or Monroe Brook drainage on Monday, and his vehicle was discovered yesterday morning in the snow-filled Amanusik Ravine parking lot in Jefferson. A Quebec man dubbed the Pilot to the Stars, who had been on the lam since mid-December, has turned himself in to Quebec Provincial Police. The Globe and Mail reports 59-year-old Norman Dubé surrendered last night to the Surete de Quebec in Montreal's northeast suburb of Mascouche. Dubé had been sentenced to two separate cases, including seven years in prison for a 2014 aerial attack on Hydro-Quebec lines that cost the utility $28 million and plunged 180,000 Quebecers into darkness. He was also found guilty of arson and making threats against civil servants in a separate case and sentenced to nine years in prison. Previously known for transporting Quebec celebrities on his plane, Dubé had been placed on the province's most wanted list after failing to report to a detention center when the Quebec Court of Appeal revoked his bail December 14. On Monday, that same court dismissed Dubé's appeals of his convictions at the request of the Crown, agreeing it had the discretion to dismiss an appeal when a party does not respect its commitments and flouts the court's authority. The Globe and Mail reports a spokesperson for the Crown's office says Dubé will appear via video link before a judge in Saint-Jérôme later today on a charge of breaking conditions. Now this item, from the desk of Steve Scott at radio station WCBS in New York. The Texas Department of Public Safety has apologized after sending out Amber Alerts about Chucky, the killer doll from the 1980s horror flicks. The alert, complete with a clothing description, blue denim overalls, multi-striped long-sleeve shirt, was meant to be an internal test. But it was released to the public. Not once. Not twice, but three times. This is Bob's World. Thursday, February the 4th is what today is. The 35th day of 2021. There are 330 days left in the year. Actor Jerry Adler is 92. Rock musician John Steele of The Animals is 80. Singer Florence LaRue of The Fifth Dimension, 79. Former Vice President Dan Quayle marks 74 today. Rock singer Alice Cooper, 73. Former Football Hall of Famer Lawrence Taylor is 62 years old today. Country singer Clint Black is 59. Actor Rob Cordry is 50. Television personality Nicole Wallace is 49. Olympic gold medal boxer Oscar De La Hoya is 48. Rock musician Rick Birch of Jimmy Eat World, 46. Singer Natalie Ambruglia is 46 as well, and Olympic gold medal gymnast-turned-singer Carly Patterson is 33 years old today. On this day in 1783, Britain's King George III proclaimed a formal cessation of hostilities in the American Revolutionary War. In 1789, electors chose George Washington to be the first president of the United States. 1861, delegates from six southern states that had recently seceded from the Union met in Montgomery, Alabama to form 
the Confederate States of America. In 1913, Rosa Parks, a black woman whose 1955 refusal to give up her seat in a Montgomery, Alabama city bus to a white man sparked a civil rights revolution. She was born Rosa Louise McCauley in Tuskegee. 1944, the Bronze Star Medal honoring heroic or meritorious achievement or service was authorized by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Also in 1945, President FDR, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, and Soviet leader Joseph Stalin began a wartime conference in Yalta. In 1962, on this date, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital was founded in Memphis, Tennessee by entertainer Danny Thomas. In 1974, newspaper heiress Patricia Hearst, then 19, was kidnapped in Berkeley, California by the radical Symbionese Liberation Army. In 76, more than 23,000 people died when a severe earthquake struck Guatemala with a magnitude of 7.5, according to the U.S. Geological Survey. Pop singer-musician Karen Carpenter died in Downey, California on this date in 1983. She was just 32. 1997, a civil jury in Santa Monica, California, found O.J. Simpson liable for the deaths of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and her friend, Ron Goldman. In 1999, Amadou Diallo, an unarmed West African immigrant, was shot and killed in front of his Bronx home by four plainclothes New York City police officers. The officers were acquitted at trial. And in 2004, the Massachusetts High Court declared that gay couples were entitled to nothing less than marriage and that Vermont-style civil unions would not suffice. Now this story from Greater Chicago, as you can hear a backup bell going off as a dump truck backs up into a driveway in just outside our field quarters. But now this story from Greater Chicago. You've seen this in Vermont before, perhaps New Hampshire as well. We'll throw in Maine as well, maybe. WGN-TV Chicago reports a box truck crashed into an historic covered bridge in Illinois with a low clearance. But this is the 14th time since the bridge was reopened following repairs last year. And I wonder what caused the need for repairs in the first place. Witnesses said they saw the truck approaching the bridge on Robert Parker Coffin Road in Long Grove that community 35 miles northwest of Chicago, and it was apparent that the top of the vehicle was going to collide with the bridge cover. John Kopecki tells WGN-TV, he was outside his business with a friend Monday when they saw the truck headed toward the bridge and shouted for it to stop. Kopecki captured video of the collision, which occurred right after a witness shouted, say goodbye to your truck. The Lake County Sheriff's Office said 13 previous reports of the bridge being struck by oversized vehicles were recorded since it reopened after repairs in August 2020. Officials said Monday's crash did not cause any serious damage to the structure. The bridge was struck by a bus just one day after its initial reopening and was struck a second time the following day while a news crew was recording a segment of the incident that happened the day before. 
Something for last now, an Idaho woman who won $200,000 in a jackpot from a scratch ticket won $300,000 from another ticket she bought the next day. Orlean Peterson of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, told Idaho lottery officials she stopped at the Albertson store in Hayden, Idaho, on Friday morning and decided to buy some scratch-off lottery tickets. Peterson said the events of the following day, when she stopped at the Fred Meyer store in Coeur d'Alene and uh, bought a coming-in hot scratch-off ticket. When I scanned it, it said I had to claim it at the lottery, I thought maybe it was $1,000. I never imagined it would be $300,000 and that it happened again the next day. Peterson's words. Peterson visited lottery headquarters to collect a combined check for $500,000. The winner says she plans to pay off bills, buy a new truck, possibly plan a Las Vegas vacation with her windfall too. Lottery officials said the Peterson beat estimated odds of 1 in 282.5 million to win a scratch ticket twice in two days. That's Bob's World this Thursday, February 4th, 2021. I'm Bob Welch. Thanks for listening.